I were the one still there, looking down from the top window, waving them goodbye. So all right, technically it belonged to Mr Nathaniel, but he didn't live there. He had the big house up the hill. He came and went in his motor car. Never slept at the palace, never ate a full meal, did a day's work or took a shit there. No more owned it than the day-trippers did. It were no fairy tale palace. There weren't no turrets or towers, chandeliers or fancy staircases. But we had the biggest swing boats this side of the Pennines, and you can't swing a lass till she screams off a chandelier. Well, not without a blooming big ladder. The sharabanks that rollicked up in the yard might have been shabby, but they were full to busting, with smiley-faced, pockets-bulging trippers, all up for a day of first-class entertainment, guaranteed. Potter's Pleasure Palace. That's what old Mr Potter had my dar paint on the wooden sign nailed to the mill wall. Except it weren't a mill no more. Acadine Mill, like dozens of others, closed before the Great War. Cheap cotton fabric were being made all over the world, and there were less of a call for the English stuff. But old Jeremiah Potter saw the way things were going. When he died, instead of a worn-out mill, his son, Mr Nathaniel, inherited a palace. Folk came from miles, from over the border and as far as Burnley and Leeds. They'd pile out the train in Sowley and pour up the road like slow treacle. I went to watch them one Whit Monday with David, the palace handyman. We stood on the wall at the end of the track looking down the road to town. Like wood ants swarming up an anthill, David said, and he grabbed hold of my pullover sleeve as they passed, as if to stop me being carried off like ants carry off leaves and crumbs. Some came by bus, and walked down from the top road through the woods in their weekend best, the lasses carrying their dancing slippers and the roller skates as they trogged down in their boots and their clogs. The knobs arrived in motor cars, honking their horns through the crowds. I spent my days dodging round the legs of the suited and booted, the stockings and frocks, watching them when they didn't know they were being watched, catching the change when it spilled from their pockets, taking their pastries they left on their plates, Made sure they saw me when I needed them to. They tipped me well when I ran an errand, fetched a drink, took a lass a message or held a horse. I'd even fasten up their skates if they asked. Ma were in charge of the tea rooms and always wore a clean pinny and her hair up smart. My sisters, Maud and Peggy, helped serve up. I learnt me numbers when I were a little un, counting out spoons and plates and chanting the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four of the foxtrot stepped out on the dance floor above my head. All the decent songs I knew were ones I'd heard the skaters bellowing above the roar of their wheels as they circled the roller rink. The indecent ones were those carolled by the lads as they left the dances of an evening, arms around the lasses, faces tilted to the sky. The palace were only open weekends and holidays. Ma said if it had been seven days a week she'd be dead on her feet in six months and my sisters worn to nubbins. I didn't have any fixed jobs, but there were always errands to do and generally keeping an eye on the place for Mr Nathaniel. Getting ready to be his assistant when I left school. I had a load of ideas for how we could match the likes of Blackpool and Morecambe that were starting to draw people away. Racing and games with prizes on the field and reopening the miniature railway with me as a train guard. Mr Nathaniel had said they were splendid notions and promised to give them some serious cogitation. He hadn't finished cogitating yet, but it were only a matter of time. It were February, cold and wet and the trippers scarce. Mr Nathaniel turned up on Saturday morning, as usual, 
for one of Ma's scones fresh from the oven. But instead of taking his plate over to the table by the window where he could spy down onto the yard below, he stood by the counter, resting his elbow on the Today's Hot Specials chalkboard. If he weren't careful, he'd have pies written back to front on his best tweed. Crumb speckled his moustache, which, like his hair, were the colour of well-baked pastry. His cheeks were flushed a ruddy red, and the fingers of his left hand were dancing, playing an invisible piano by his side, a sure sign that he'd got some new scheme in mind. He said there'd been a turn-up for the books, an opportunity not to be missed, words that usually meant he'd got a new plan for bringing more trippers in, two skaters for the price of one, private dancing lessons, discounted meals. I prayed it would be the miniature railway this time, though I carried on slicing the ham for the sandwiches as if there were no other thought in my head. The ham had to be extra thin or we wouldn't get enough out of it. I didn't want to face...